Blog Talk Radio. Bless the Lord. You are now live with the Word on Wednesday. And tonight we move along to Acts chapter 26. This has been a long, arduous journey. It's been an uphill climb these last past few weeks. We had a little vacation time. And the, the bottom line is that we're back. We're ready to begin the final push. Uh, We want to have a word of prayer, and then we want to get right into tonight's lesson. Um, So let's have a word of prayer, and we want to to get right into the lesson. Good evening, everybody, as you're coming on board. And Mita was not number one, so now we're going to see when Mita gets online for Bible study. Uh, That's a little something that I'm going, meddling with my uh, sister-in-law about, because she usually shows up late. But anyway, let's have a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We come to bless you. We come to praise you. We come to magnify your name. God, tonight as we come, we come thanking you for peace and joy. In the midst of turbulence, in the midst of confusion, God, we still got joy. And your word says that your peace will you leave unto us, not as the world leaves it. And you have given us that peace that passes all understanding, peace that allows us to rest in the midst of a storm. And we say thank you for it. Now, Father, as we go into your word tonight, We are asking once again that you lead us and that you guide us, that you would speak to us collectively as well as individually and show us how to apply this word to our lives. We know that the the story is about Paul and what he did, but we also know that it's applicable to us and that it's the same God who has given us this everlasting word. So, God, teach us how to go about expanding the kingdom for your purposes. Teach us what to do and what to say and how to comport ourselves in every situation to bring you glory. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when we left off uh, the last time we were together, we left off uh, with Paul being summoned before King Agrippa, uh, Festus, and Bernice. We gave you the pertinent facts about, about Festus and Bernice and, 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 and King Agrippa, that King Agrippa knew the law. And, so to, and he summoned Paul because Festus doesn't know what to tell him. He doesn't, he doesn't, as a matter of fact, the word tells us in Acts chapter 26, it says, uh, in verse 26, but I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. 
He says, I haven't found anything deserving that, that he, he should die for. And I'm, he has appealed to Caesar, and I don't know what to tell Caesar concerning him. And so he suddenly, they come in, and now he summons Paul. And there's something that I want you to see tonight because it's going to tell you how to present yourselves when, you, when your faith is tried. It's going to tell you how to testify. Because a lot of people don't, don't understand uh, how to testify of Jesus and what they should say when their faith is under attack. You know, we get to we get to talking all off the top of our head and and trying to prove things and all that kind of stuff. When when you see what Paul does before even reading Acts chapter twenty six, okay, you have heard Paul's defense from the beginning. You've already heard it. You already know it because over and over again, he's going to tell you the same thing. Your testimony need not change, need not change at all. All you have to do is tell what happened to you. And that's, that's the gist of tonight's lesson. When you are testifying of Jesus Christ, what you testify to is what happened to you. You're going to testify concerning your encounter with Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, when they stand up in church and give testimony or when they testify or witness to a friend that they've got to go down this script and they've got to say this and they've got to say that and, they've, you know, uh, it has to be spectacular. He had to save you from being a drunk or a drug addict or some great miracle or whatever. If, if you weren't a drunk and he saved you, then why are you testifying to being a drunk? If you weren't a, um, a morally corrupt person, you would just, in your sins and inequity like all the rest of them, why are you, why are you testifying to that? You're not testifying, you're testifying. Tell what happened and how you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, period. And you can furthermore tell them, and since Jesus came into my life, this is what has happened. All Paul is going to do in this chapter is tell of his experience, of his encounter with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. So without, without going any further, uh, we're going to cover this chapter tonight, and there's going to be a lot of reading, a lot of reading, because basically all we're going to do is recount his testimony. Okay, so I am at uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 1. And Paul has been summoned, and so now Agrippa is going to talk in verse 20, uh, chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusation of the Jews especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner 
of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So what is he doing here? What he's doing now is he's talking about his pre-conversion experience. And he describes himself as, number one, being a Pharisee. And he says to them, I am on trial because I believe. In the resurrection, I am on trial because of the controversy, number one, that goes on between the Sadducees and the Pharisees concerning the hope of the resurrection. I am on trial because of the interpretation of Scripture. That's why I am on trial. That's number one. So he brings that. To, to front, and he also makes his defense, and he and he t says, "Look, I'm not a rabble rouser. I have moved in conjunction with the the chief priest because prior to my conversion, I did not only did I do what they said, I had their approval, and I executed." against their plan to rid themselves of what we now know to be Christians. And what he goes back and he refer, refers to, basically, is what we studied uh, early on in Acts, the stoning of Stephen, and how Paul got letters from the high priest and how he was persecuting Christians. We studied that already. So now, let's keep going. Verse 12, Acts 26, 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the gold. And I said, Who are you, Lord? 
And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, it's really important that you get this part because, number one, he establishes the witness of Christ to him. He establishes that he is doing this because he has a commission by Jesus himself to spread the gospel to the Gentile nation. He establishes that he has the authority to do that, all in this statement. And he says, he says I am only doing what I have been told to do. And he furthermore testifies that he has seen the risen Savior, that he has had an encounter with Jesus. So now, back up for a second. What did I say at the beginning? I said, when you testify, what, you, what a witness is, is a person who has experienced or seen something, and he stands before others, and he says, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. There is nothing superficial, arbitrary, or false about your witness. If this is your encounter with Jesus, that's what you say, period. You don't have to embellish it. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to take anything from it. You say, well, look, this is my experience with God. That's witnessing. A lot of people think witnessing is, okay, so you go and you tell them what the Bible says. That helps in certain times, but no, that's not a witness. That is not a witness. What a witness is is, okay, so now I'm going to introduce you to my Savior. I'm going to introduce you to how I got uh, to Jesus that saved me. And here's how I got saved. I got saved after uh, in an encounter with Jesus because I was reading my Bible one day, and it just stood out to me that I was a sinner. And in reading my Bible or while I was listening to the preacher, the preacher said to me that if I gave my life to Jesus, that Jesus would save me. And I believed what that preacher said, and I gave my life to Jesus that day. And let me tell you, since that day, things in my life have been different. No, I didn't walk out that church and immediately stop you know, lying. I still you know, told a lie to every now and then. But I found out that every time I told a lie, I felt bad about it. Whereas before, I would lie and it was like water running off a duck's back. I tell one line and tell another one and then tell another one. But after I gave my life to Jesus, I'm like, man, 
I ain't supposed to be lying like this. Let me stop this lie. And the next thing I know, I stopped lying. And then there was some other stuff I was doing. And I, I would do it, and whereas before it didn't bother me. But then all of a sudden, that stuff started bothering me. You see, when you witness about your own experiences, when you witness concerning your encounter with Jesus, what you're doing is you're telling the truth. And somebody can say, oh, that didn't happen. But they can watch you. And they can say, you know, I know that Negro. He's every, you, you, you always knew when he was lying. All you had to do is look at his mouth. Every time he opened his mouth, he was lying. But now, you got to stop doing that. Hmm, something that happened to him. That's witnessing. That's showing the power of God in your life. You know, some people will never have cancer. So they'll never have that fantastic testimony about how God healed them from cancer. And I praise God I ain't never had none of that stuff. But I can tell you, ooh, he didn't heal me from a lot of being a scoundrel. Because you're looking at an ex scoundrel right now. I, still, I, ain't, I ain't 100%. I ain't 100%, but I'm closer to 100 now than I was back in the day. And that's what people need to hear. They need to hear about not what you did for yourself, but the power of God working in your life that's bringing you toward holiness, that has sanctified you, that's called you out of darkness, and has you now walking in light, who, the, the, the way you govern your life according to the word of God instead of the word of man. That's what Paul is doing here. Let, let's keep going. Verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Stop right there. Now, you know, a lot of times people get saved. People say that they're saved. One of the things that, that is neglected, and, and Paul gives a formula here that we don't see. One of the things that happens is when you repent, Okay? Because repentance is necessary for salvation. See, when you say, when you give your life to Jesus, what you're doing is you're turning away from the world and you're turning to God. And you're asking Jesus to be your personal Savior by faith. When you do that, what's happening is you are repenting. You are renouncing your sins and then you're turning to God. And so, you can't keep doing the stuff. If, you, if you're really believing in Jesus, you're not going to keep doing what you were doing before. I'm not saying to you, just like I just said, I ain't stopped lying completely. Your desire to do those things is impacted by your repentance because now if you were a, if you were a, a habitual liar, you know, I'm sorry, but you, you know, if, if, if I'm any example, you know, that lie got to you. Know, you got to break loose from that. And that's what Jesus tells you. You ain't got to lie no more, boy. You got to, you're going to tell the truth. And I'm just using myself as an example. That thing you gradually, you're turning away from it, and you're turning to God. You turn away from the wickedness of lying to 
practicing the truth of God. So instead of practicing how good a liar you can be, you begin to practice how to tell the truth and how to live truth. So when you repent, you're turning to a new way of life. If it was drugs, you got to turn. Some people, and I know some people like this, one day they was a drug guy, the next day they wasn't. But then there are others who gradually are weaned away from that stuff. Some people go put themselves in a program to get clean. However God leads you, that's, the, that's your beginning of repentance and walking the path of holiness. You see, and what did he say? He says, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to what God was saying, but it was Jesus who had to, as they say, pick me up and turn me around. See, he had to turn me around because I didn't have the strength to do it myself. When we think that we're doing something, that ain't us doing it. That's God. That's him giving us the strength and the power and letting us know you are no longer the slave of sin. You've now become a slave to righteousness in Jesus Christ. You get that? So he says, you're going to repent. And not only are you going to repent, but whereas before you were doing works for Satan, now you begin to do works for God. Hmm? You get that? And so, and some people just jump right in and they go straight up the ladder and they boom. But most of us, it's a very gradual thing. I remember with me, it was learning how to share with my brothers and sisters. Yeah, and if they were out here tonight, they would tell you, yeah, this boy was stingy. He wouldn't give you nothing. But then all of a sudden, God had me to begin to learn how to give other folks stuff, learn how to be concerned for others rather than just hoarding things for myself. You see, that's, that's those good works that they're talking about. When you're saved, you are saved Unto good works, to do good works. You ain't saved to just go get no big old house or have blessings shower down upon you. Even though he will shower down blessings upon you, he will give you uh, uh, the desires of your heart. All of that stuff is true. But that your desire becomes not for you, just for you. No, it's for everybody to do good works, to advance the kingdom of God. Let me keep going. Um, verse 21. Well, no, let me go back to verse 20. Let me give. But declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the regions of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance, living a life that mirrors the fact that they've turned to Jesus. For this reason, verse 21, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. So the reason that they got me in the temple and the reason they tried to kill me is because I was doing the work of God. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. 
Wasn't that sweet? So again, everything ties together and everything is related to his encounter with Jesus, his instructions by Jesus, and the life that he lives before Jesus. And as he was saying these things, verse 24, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Now, why does Festus interrupt him? Festus does not understand what Paul is saying. And Festus is interpreting Paul's defense as nonsensical simply because his eyes have never been opened and he does not understand the controversy that goes on between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He does not believe that Jesus has rose from the dead. He is a government official sitting there merely in a judicial capacity, and he does not have the understanding, as he's admitted already, of how to adjudicate this situation. But now Paul, at the beginning of this speech, he says, you know what, I'm glad you're here, King Agrippa, because, what does he say, you are familiar with the customs and controversies. You are familiar with what goes on within the Jewish nation between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and you're also familiar with Jesus of Nazareth and the controversies concerning his resurrection. So when Festus says, man, you're too smart, your brain done exploded, he says, nope. He says, and that's why I'm talking to the king, because the king understands. Let me keep going. For the king knows, I'm at verse 26, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. You know what I'm saying is true. This stuff is wide open. This is out in the streets every day. You know that Jesus was crucified. You know that he rose from the dead because if he didn't rise from the dead, where that body at? You know and have heard of all the people that has te- have testified that they saw him after, after you crucified him. You know that. And Agrippa said, excuse me, verse 27, King Agrippa do you believe the prophets? Now he's, trying, he's bringing them back into the word. He says, I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So he's saying, Paul, are you testifying or are you trying to get me to confess that Jesus is my Lord? Are you trying to get me be a Christian? And see, that's the thing that you will encounter as you testify to Jesus. 
People are going to say, so you think that I need to be saved? And you know what your answer is? Yep, you do need to be saved. You do need to take advantage of the grace of God. You do, I do want you to experience the love of God, the joy, and everything that goes along with it. That's, yeah, that's the truth. So now, that's, that's what witnessing is all about. It's not about just you getting, uh, uh, you, you telling them about Jesus. It's about bringing salvation to them through your testimony. So, verse 26, or 29, and Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, the governor and Bernice, those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So what is the result? Number one, Paul testifies. He testifies to truth. He testifies and he has proven that the charges that he is up on are not true. He then takes the opportunity in his defense to share the gospel. What's going on here? God has put Paul in a situation to share the gospel. God has placed all of us in situations where we can share the gospel through our testimony. Our testimony is what we experienced when we encountered the risen Savior. And what, is, what are the results? The results are not that King Agrippa and Bernice accept Jesus. No. There's no record that he ever accepted Jesus. But Paul did what he was commissioned to do. It is not our job to effect salvation. It is our job to spread the word. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to woo people, to woo them, and for him to convict and, con convict and convince people to know that they need Jesus. Our job is just to spread the seed. And what's happening today is that we are mute. We no longer testify. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think one of the things that, that, um, that, that I think I find fault in the church in is that because of some abuses by certain people with uh, testimonial services, that we took those out of the church. We no longer have time to encourage each other to, uh, through testimony. And the word even says, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Well, if we're not practicing and if we're not sharing with one another, what happens when we get in public and it's time for us to share our witness with Jesus? I think we ought to go back to having testimony services. I really do. But anyway, the results are that Paul could have been set free. They deemed him innocent, but they said, and they think that he made a mistake in appealing to Caesar. 
But that wasn't a mistake. That was ordained by God. Because what did God tell him? He says, just as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, you're going to testify in Rome. So this was all a part of God's plan. Paul is in chains. Paul is in prison because that's where God wants him to be, because God is going to allow Paul the privilege and the honor of testifying before even greater and mightier men. You're in the position that you're in. Why? Because God has deemed you worthy to carry his word wherever he sends you. And his word, your testimony, is in you. And God will bring that word out of you in due season. That's what this chapter is all about, just your testimony. Amen? And so when you have the opportunity to share what Jesus has done for you, share it. Share it. And you don't need a bullhorn and you don't need to go through you know, all of the hysteronics that you know you see some people do. All you do is when the Lord opens the door and they say, so why do you act like you act? Yeah. This ain't no act. This is me. Now, I, didn't always, I wasn't always like this. I was a real scoundrel. But when I met Jesus, and this is how I met him, and this is what happened, and this is why I am like I am right now, that's sharing the good news. Amen? Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We bless you and we praise you. For you are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, you've told us to go, to share your gospel. And we thank you that you give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We now understand that, Father, it's just it's a simple thing to do. Just tell the truth of our experiences with God. With, with Jesus. Father, teach us not to have lockjaw and not to be fearful and not to, you know, try to embellish it or make it sound good or, you know, or, 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 or just lie on you and lie, on our, lie about our experiences with you. Teach us how to just tell the plain old truth that you might be glorified. Teach us to trust that you are at work in the hearts of men. And that we don't have to persuade them. You will persuade them. That you will allow them to see you. That they will have an encounter with you and not with us. God, we bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've got any questions, why don't you either put them on the screen or call me at 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304, or uh, just if you're on Facebook Live right now and you see the, um, and you can just type your questions in right now. And if you don't hurry up and do it, then I'm going to shut Bible study down because I'm six minutes over. And I didn't mean to be six minutes over. In the meantime, while I'm, while I'm giving you time, next week we'll go into Acts chapter 27 and then, um, 
then we got 27 and 28. And our next Bible study, the next one after we finish Acts, we're going to uh, go into a little bit more detail of a, a portion of Acts by, by studying Paul's letter to the Galatians. And I am entitling uh, that Bible study the Emancipation. And the reason why I entitled that Bible study the Emancipation because I am discovering uh, that um, I'm discovering that that there are many people that are in the church that are just not free, and that a lot of people that don't go to church because while they were in church they felt like you know hey it was too many do's and don'ts and I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do the other, and so now they walked away. And what I want you to understand is the liberty that you have in Christ. I want you to understand, in Galatians, we'll understand our relationship to the law. And also in Galatians, we'll understand how we got saved and what that means in terms of our freedom. And then the third part about it will be uh, when we discuss, when we discuss why we do what we do in the church because there's a reason why we do a lot of the stuff in the church that we do and how that fits all in with this process of salvation and and how it relates what's important what's not important what's a local rule and what's a universal rule so we're going to do all of that in galatians and if if i stay on schedule um we'll start that august the first but okay so uh, oh by the way if you want to see this again, um, it'll be on YouTube within the next couple of days. Uh, so it'll allow you to go back and study and pick up any other chapters of Acts that you might have missed. Amen? So without further ado, uh, since there's no questions, appreciate all you coming out tonight. Uh, hit the share button and share this with friends um, because there's a lot of people right now who are not in anybody's Bible study and the more I encounter people, the more I'm finding out. Some folk have Bibles, but they either read the same verse over and over again or they don't read it at all. And this is the way to life. This, this, this book right here, this word, this is the way to life. The, it says, thy word have I hid in my heart. The word is a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. If you're stumbling around in life, that's because you're not in the word. And we got to get everybody in the word. Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. And I'll see you next week. This has been Pastor Winfred Burns with The Word on Wednesday. God bless you.